Welcome to another episode of Human Becomings. So today I have two fabulous women with me and we are going to be exploring the topic on why women do not advocate for themselves and why women are cruel to each other. So let me start introducing my two guests. The first guest I have is Gabby <laughs> and I've met Gabby from college from Wisconsin and Gabby is a communication specialist with New Direction for Women based out of California. And she is a women's rights activist based out of Orange County, California as well. So welcome to the show, Gabby. Thanks for having me, Mila. You're welcome. And my next guest is Annalie. Annalie, I met you at Parkside as well. Annalie is a political scientist and a researcher based out of Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin. Not only that, she is a member of the Social Action Committee with her synagogue, focusing on immigration reform and other pertinent issues in American politics. So welcome to the show, Annalie. Hello. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. I got to know both of you from college at Parkside, and we have had really brilliant conversations, mind-blowing conversations, and even disagreeing conversations. And that's the point, right? Even when we have disagreeing conversations, we still are friends. <laughs> it took a while to get us all together. <laughs> and that's the thing. And, and I feel that this is this is just evidence right that women can support each other women can disagree with each other we all disagree with each other and yet we have managed to find a balance in our relationship and continue with our relationship for how many years now uh, eight years seven, yeah, seven eight. Oh wow yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can't get rid of each other anymore <laughs> no respect <laughs> friends for life <laughs> fantastic so okay so let's just dive into the topic of why let's start first because that, it's a twofold topic that we're going to talk about why women do not self-advocate and then the second fold is why are women mean to each other and uh, that ties where feminism and different theories. So let's start with why don't women advocate for themselves? I think it's really interesting because I think that every woman and like the household they grew up in is different. I just think how many role models do women have? And I think that's a big thing because if you don't have any role models of like a woman stepping up for like sticking up for herself or advocating for herself, how are you going to do it? And I don't think it's necessarily something that we've been taught to do. Because I think in like middle school or elementary school, it's always been, you know, if you get mad at someone, like how do you quell the situation instead of standing up for yourself? It's like, how can you make the other person feel better? So I think we've been socialized to fix things, not necessarily advocating for ourselves. Because I think there's kind of a stigma towards when you say too much or advocate too much for yourself. I think it's a little scary for people, for women really. Right, it's a good point that you bring up that we have been socialized in, in, in such madness. And that is true, not only in the United States, right? It is true, it's a global phenomenon. I grew up in, I was born in a different country, I grew up in multiple countries. And every country that I've lived in, it's the same behavior, it's a repeated, cyclical pattern that I've noticed, right? Women 
tend to hold themselves as a lesser sex and compared to gender, right? When we compare ourselves in, in gender types, uh, we tend to compare or hold ourselves as a lesser uh, gender as opposed to men. But that becomes nuanced, right? Nuanced in a, in, at a global larger scale. But when you take that in a multicultural level, right? Even I'm going to take Asia as an example. Asian women, so many different types of Asian women, Japanese women, Iranian women, Iraqi women, Bangladeshi, uh, Chinese, Malay women, Indian women. And that plays a huge part where they all look different. And this is inherently present in Asia. <laughs> they all look different, right? They're all from different countries, different backgrounds. And even though they are all women, they compare themselves with each other via their skin color, via their accents, via religious beliefs, via the culture that you grew up in, even within the culture, even within Asian culture, there are new ones, right? That's hierarchy system as to which class that you belong to, which socioeconomic status that you belong to. Based on that, I've also noticed a difference in how women hold themselves. The darker women are in Asia, they are less advocative for themselves as opposed to the fairer skinned Asians. And that's just such a global phenomenon that you find. And back to your point, Anneli, it's how they have been conditioned. Conditioning is such an important root issue as how women view themselves. Gabby, what are your thoughts? Oh, I, like, I think a lot of times when you look in the media, um, you see fair skinned, usually light hair, light eyes. Um, and women always have this perfectness to them. And I think that comes down to a lot of why some women decide not or don't feel that they can advocate for themselves because they feel like they're not hitting that perfect bar that's been set so high by society, that socialization that you know, you have to be skinny, you have to be perfect, you have to be soft-spoken, you have to be kind, you have to be this assertive woman. And I think we find ourselves judging ourselves harder sometimes, and then that in turn makes it harder for us to advocate because we don't feel that we're worthy of asking for that. I think it's a good example too, especially in the workforce, when you talk about that pay gap. A lot of that sometimes has to do with you know, they say, well, the women don't ask, but it's been socialized to kind of just not ask. I know for myself personally and going kind of through my own journey in that, you know, when I first took my position, I was like, well, I don't know what I should ask for. I don't know if I'm, if I have enough experience for this. I don't know if I have enough knowledge for this. And then when I came in, I realized like I'm doing above and beyond what I need to be doing. Um, and going in to ask for that first big raise was such a um, new experience for me. I, <laughs> I was very like, I can't do this. Um, my fiance was coaching me a little bit on it. And um, he was like, just go in, you just ask. Why wouldn't you ask? And I was like, nobody ever told me to like go in there and be, you know, balls to the wall essentially <laughs> and see what happened. And, um, you know, doing that was a big thing. And um, I did get what I asked for because my work is worthy. And I think that's the big thing we have to realize is we are worthy of it. 
that's an important point that you make, Gabby, the self-work aspect of it, right? And you mentioned a lot of what ifs, what ifs. And in my company, and recently we did a research as to to the three degrees of fear and the first degree of fear ties in with the lens of insecurities mm -hmm. and as women right as women we are filled with insecurities it ties back to Annalise's point as to how we are socialized right all the insecurities has been installed into us since not just by our parents but our society right can you imagine going to the playground um, do you recall going to the playground or I do not even know if some people grew up in playgrounds But just going out in your neighborhood and playing with different children at different ages when you were eight or seven years old Right and you took the ball or you kicked the ball or you did something and Someone's mom came out to you and said Gabby. That's a boy's thing. You can't do that Honestly, you can't um, hit a bat. You can't play baseball. That's a, a guy's thing. Be a girl. Behave like a girl. So all these things kind of sticks into our cognitive brain, right? Because that's the stage where we are cognitive of what is, or, or, or I can't do this. So that level of insecurity is instilled into us. And that insecurity comes from a place of fear, hidden fear. As to, like you said, Gabby, what if I'm not good? What if I do not have that degree? What if I do not have experience? All these are socialized. Like you said, in media, we have been told you need to, to have a, a degree. You need to go to school. You need to have a degree. You need to get A's. You need to have 10 years of experience or five years of experience or three years of experience. What is experience? Experience is nothing when you do not take action, you make mistakes or learn. I think it's really interesting, um, just some of the things that you point on, is I don't, and I don't think it's only just the insecurity in the action, I think it's the insecurity in the consequences. I mm. think that people are really worried, I think women in particular, are really worried about being labeled as difficult. They're really worried about being labeled as a bitch because if you're given these labels, people don't want to work with you. They'll, maybe they'll make your workplace a little bit more tense so you can't get things done as effectively. So I think it's not just I'm insecure in asking for these things. And actually to go back to your asking for a pay raise and asking what you're worth, there's been studies that have proven that actually when you get into these negotiations, they actually always lowball women more because they feel they can because they've been socialized. So that has been proven. Um, but I think it really is, is just what are the consequences of it? And I think that we've been so programmed to be like, these things are unappealing. These words are unappealing and we'll do whatever it takes to make sure that they don't come in. So I think that's a big thing is like, we're worried about the consequences afterwards. I think that's a really interesting point too, where you bring up the workplace and not being labeled a bitch, right? So I have the very fortunate opportunity right now to be working in a 99% female workplace. And so I was like, oh, this will be perfect. I have some kind of experience to bring to this topic today. And then I realized that when I'm trying to get a little bit more research, find out some more about like, how do you conduct a positive all female work environment? And there is no articles about that. The only thing you'll ever see written, I mean, you know, go a couple of pages deep into Google is a man's view of how difficult yes. it is to work with bitches in the, an all-female workplace. Mm -hmm. And it is so hard. And when you're reading through these and you're reading these examples, these women are just doing their job. 
but because they weren't giving praise and appreciation to the men, they're difficult. Mm -hmm. And so there is that really hard way to um, conduct, you know, how do you, is there any research about making an all-female healthy environment? Like, do we have articles out there about the positivity that is happening? Is it just being overshadowed by the media and male voices? It's, it's really interesting that you brought up the consequences on Ali and then Gabby, you contributed to the aspect of being bitchy as well, right, at the workplace. So this is something <laughs> I find it really fascinating and I've been uh, working with a lot of companies in how to shift that that mindset of the alpha mindset because women do have the alpha mindset and embody that alpha behavior um, into a much more positive uh, manner, right? I'm not. I'm not saying that women have got to be nurturing and motherly. No, and that's how women have been perceived as. You need to be nurturing or motherly, or if you're aggressive, um, or have more confidence, you are perceived as a tomboy, or you're boyish, or are you butch? Those kind of labels that are given to us, right? So, um, Annalie, you spoke about consequences, which is which is so true right and the consequences of how we are being perceived and i think that ties with the industrialization era and pre-industrialization era and world war era and i'm, I'm going to just speak about a few other different countries too but when you think about during world war one or world war two men went out to war women stayed back they were nurses or they were you know, taking care of kids, they were doing all the things that society imposed upon them, right? During industrialization as well, men went out to the factories to work and women stayed at home. Even when you think about hundreds of years ago, like when people had farms and all of that. So being a farmer, like men went out to work, and this is so inherently present in farming countries, farming nations, uh, China is one of it as well. Men would go out to the farm, do all the farming work, like hard labor, planting uh, rice or, you know, uh, milking cows and whatnot, um, mending to their pa uh, patty fields. And then women stayed at home, cooked lunch, and they would pack lunch or dinner in the morning for the men, and then they would take care of all the household chores. And then in the afternoon, they'll prepare meals again, take care of the baby. Women did very what was considered feminine thing and again it's socialization has society coined feminine things to be right and that kind of fast forward it to this era yes it evolved but it evolved into a very modernized state modernized state as in the, it's the same concept but it the concept was evolved into the workplace it was evolved into society so you see the same thing happening. Women are perceived to do clerical jobs, perceived to, uh, to be uh, note takers. And I hate this, oh my God, I hate this with a passion. Uh, during my 15 year corporate tenure, every person who took notes or minutes of a meeting was a female. Mm -hmm. And even if it's a female manager or female boss, they would pick a woman to do it. And until one day I was like, I'm not gonna take notes. No, and I retaliated and I said, I'm not going to take notes because I want to be involved in the meeting. And, and she didn't know how to react to me. She was like, no, you're going to take notes. You see, and just from that reaction, a lot of new ones to behavior came about. Women, that 
woman manager was not supporting me in being engaged, right? And why was she asking me to take notes? Even when I said no, she lost a sense of power mm. over me. Um, and, and that's the thing. It's like, why should women take notes? We have technologies to record meetings, right? If you are a contributing member to society, to the workplace, to your team, you should be engaged. Why not ask a, a male to take notes? And then, and this is the response I get, oh, males are not good at taking notes. That's not true. That's not true. So I think it's just a nuance, right? How we are treated at the workplace. It's just the same concept from hundreds of years ago, from the World War era, from industrialization era, from farming era. That has just been progressed into our modern world. And also, males like when male male people say like you say oh she's such a bitch to work with i think male they have got some form of ego machismo going on within them <laughs> and how can you dehumanize how can you demonize how can you strip away one's identity is to disregard them at the lowest level by using a word which is so disgrading which is bitch and and we need to shift that you're right Gabby and Arnold, we need to shift that. I think it's really interesting. Um, when I think about what leadership is, what our idea of leadership is, and I think it, I was really triggered to think about that when you said, when we look at women in the workplace, every single article, and that's what I looked up, why is feminism so bad? It's every single article is written by a man. So I think that we have this idea that of like a masculine idea of leadership like what do our leaders look like and how do they behave because there's so many times where you know i think of books like think like a man or they act like a man or like you said like people are seen as like butch and these type of things we give these things to women that if you can't be strong and being feminine you have to be strong don't in order to be strong you have to be more like a man so i think it's really interesting and what is acting like a man, right? Sometimes that's being exclusionary of other women. So what do women do when they get in these power positions? They minimize the contributions of other women. They feel like maybe there's only one seat at the table, whereas you're in the position to make multiple seats for all of us. And I just think about afterwards, how worse does it even get when you start getting into like intersectionalities? Because um, I know a lot of people who say like, you know, my white female boss, she's, you know, she is, you know, colorblind in the way. And then if she puts down other women, imagine what that is like when it's like a woman of color in there. It's like a queer woman, maybe it's a trans woman. So I think that when you're always, when you feel like there's only one spot, you're going to put anyone down that you can and for any variety of reasons. So I think it's, we need to change our idea of what a leader is, what does strong leadership look like. And I think it's definitely being more inclusive not exclusive because we can't make best decisions that way decisions right and and that comes from a plane of scarcity right that comes from a plane of scarcity and is it really scarcity that is is present is, is what i want to dig a little bit deeper and gabby you work in a 99 percent female empowered environment and i want to hear from your perspective working in a 99% female empowered environment is scarcity present and and, femi and feminism, right? I wanted to dig into feminism, but let's talk about scarcity present in your environment. So I will have to say, I think um, 
our workplace does a really good job of making sure that each person um, his voice is heard. I really do feel our top-down leadership does have an, a really good ability to lead. Um, it's kind of like they have a garden, you know, each of us are a flower, uh, feminine, very feminine example, but you know, even each of us are a flower and our leaders are constantly providing that good environment for us to grow. They're constantly watering, you know, us and giving us that place to expand outside of what our job description is. And I think that's why I've had a, an ability to really enjoy working because I've never been shot down for an idea. Um, this workplace is not they don't feel threatened when someone comes up with a good idea. That's a big thing. They're like, okay, cool, let's put it down. And then the best thing is to people don't take um, other people's ideas and say it's their own. Everybody gives the proper acknowledgement to the person it goes to. And that's, I think, a big key in that. And so there is some, you know, back and forth as always. It doesn't matter gender or what workplace you're in. People are going to try to secure their position because there is just a big an overwhelming fear in our society just based on where our economics are at that if I don't have this job I don't have a life <laughs> so there is a little bit of that always underlying I would say let's talk about if I do not have this job I do not have a life mm -hmm. <laughs> 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 so why? I, I'm really intrigued by this, this behavior, not just for women, but a lot of men, but let's focus on women. If I do not have a job, I, job, I do not have a life, my job defines me, right? Everyone uses a job, their title, their mm -hmm. position, place of power as a definition, as an identity definer. Mm -hmm. But when you strip away all of it, when they lose your job, they lose your confidence, they lose their identity, they lose their ability to speak, ability to, to think clearly, or ability to create. But, but it's just a superficial factor, and it's just a superficial title. Yes, it gives them money, but women especially, right? Women especially do not have that. Most of us are not taught how to think big or think in longer terms. So I want to hear from, uh, from an economic perspective, Annalie, from a political stance. Why do women have this perception or thinking or belief that if I do not have a job, I do not have a life? Uh, I think this is a super interesting question. And it makes me think about what the role of capitalism is in each state. So I think it's going to be a lot different. You're going to see it vary between each different states. Um, one, if you look in the United States, where I feel like a hyper-capitalist society, right, we have great business interests are very much a big game changer in our country. Whereas if you go to different countries, you know, they're curbed by like the presence of unions, um, the fact that they're corporatist states. So I think when you go into a state that is much like ours, which has a variety of different interests, but business reigns, reigns supreme, think about how that in, like impacts our psyche and how we view ourselves. So if you have a great deal of business interest, then all of a sudden we're gonna start seeing ourselves in like this capitalist mindset. So I think for women, 
because we've been excluded from like gathering economic capital now that we're here being able to do it i think now we're throwing ourselves into our work so i think because you've been excluded for so long that changes what you think a job is you think that a job is your lifeline because you didn't have the freedom that comes with amassing capital that's powerfully put so is this present in the field that you are working in gabby because i know you work with a lot of women and do you, do you witness this concept or this explanation that Anna just provides a bleed into the field that you're working in? Because you help a lot of women, right? And you work with a lot of women. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a few things, yeah. Um, women that, sorry, I'm like, oh, I'm trying to put it all together. <laughs> um, there is such a sense of tying that person to their title and making sure I'm in Orange County. That's a big difference too. This is one of the most affluent areas, most high paced areas. And women are not only forced to keep up with their job titles, but also their appearances, but there can, it's a lot of show, I think, in holding that position too. And so when they aren't allowed to sit next to the CEO because they're the director and they're sitting further down at the table, they have a fit. Um, That can be something that happens because their job title's been like put down because they're not sitting next to the highest person at the table. Um, And I think that's interesting that you say because they've been left out before that now they're thinking that they have to try and grab for what's left a little bit and that's that scarcity mentality again see you bring up a very important point as to you know appearances mm-hmm. how women look like so this is so true it's a valid behavior it is a an interesting behavior i feel that we all each of us hold even sometimes we do not think about it but it still goes on into our head subconsciously um, I was reading um, today about the subliminal, the unconscious mind, the unconscious mind, and they speak about the fluence, uh, fluency effect. The fluency effect is, um, you know, if the form of information is difficult to assimilate, that affects our judgment about the substance of that information, which means <clears throat> if someone really beautiful to, well, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? <laughs> but to us, if someone is gorgeous, right? I'm going to take, for example, Adam Levine. Oh my God, I've always had a crush on Adam Levine. So <laughs> Adam Levine stands in front of me and then um, Louis C.K. stands beside him, right? <laughs> <laughs> they are sharing the same message. They're sharing the same message saying, hey, I'm offering... Uh, I'm offering um, 100K, 100K, and I want you to come work with me. Who would I pick? I'll pick (laughs) the gorgeous person because our mind tends to to be at ease. You know, what we see, if it eases our mind, our eyes, we tend to go with it. If something that does not ease our mind or our eyes, we do not go with it. I'm just using that superficial example now take that to another level right take that to another level where 
where women are always uh, fighting with each other, N not fighting, but competing with each other, like, I look better than you. Or, and, and this is so true, this happens at the workplace, this happens at the gym, in school, in social setting. How many times have women kind of like, you know, skimmed it over another women with bigger boobs or bigger asses, bigger assets, and have said, oh, she's fake, or she's sleeping around. Mm -hmm. And we tend to take that as competition. It's the same thing that bleeds into, um, in a corporate setting, right? Mm -hmm. Women tend to dress up much better because it's a level of scarcity, right? It is the power of scarcity. It's the plane of scarcity. I need to dress better so that boss, the CEO, will take notice of me and will hire me and will pay more importance to me. And that's a different layer that we do not often talk about. Women do not often talk about it because it's inherently present and that ties with the power of scarcity. Now, how can we move that? How can we move that? Because in actuality, it's not scarcity. We are creating all these experiences and, and situations. When we say we, it's not just me. Collectively, as a team, unconsciously, we create that. How can we create opportunities? Because we have the power to create opportunities, to create positions, to create departments in, in a company or in a society or in a school or in our communities. What can we do to shift that scarcity mindset into abundance mindset? I think we have to start thinking differently. I think that's where it really comes from is being able to acknowledge that we do have these bias, like biases against each other. Because I think that's a lot of, like we believe that that happens, right? We believe that these positions, they're scarce, right? But we need to be able to say like, yes, I can create, I can make things and I can make my environment a better, more hospitable environment. So I think it's being able to acknowledge like the privilege that we have, the privileges that we have, and then also how we've been molded to think these ideas. So I think that's a big thing is being able to acknowledge like if there's woman, a woman who has a bigger chest, not automatically thinking that she's, you know, sleeping around with the boss or that she's inherently more sexual because this is literally something she has no control over, right? What her body looks like. <laughs> and like then, you know, being natural, obviously you can modify those things. But um, we have to like deprogram ourselves and get away from like the gender values that we've been, you know, told all our lives, like these things aren't true. <laughs> Gabby, from your perspective, I know that, you know, you deal with communications and communications is so wide, right? And and in your field, um, and I know that you, you are a great activist for women. From your work, how have you, the work that you've done, how have you managed or empowered women to shift that perspective of, uh, from scarcity to abundance? And I know that you've done a lot of work in, in Orange County, Catchy Sheriff. Yeah. Um... I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is starting just within my, my little cubicle, my little office. You know, um, I have some different skills that I bring to the table. And when another woman in my office wants help with something, or she's like, oh, can you make the, the advertisement for this? I'll show her how she can do it herself and empower her to be able to make her own promotions for her own events. And I think something right there, um, a lot of people don't do that because 
there's that thought, well, like, what if she does it better than me? And then they want her to do it. And then I don't get to do it anymore. Right. There's that like moment, but you know what, at the end of the day, now she's empowered. And honestly, it's creating more leaders and kind of going back real quick to leadership. When we think about that, a leader's job isn't to tell other people what to do. It's to create other leaders. So that's a big thing for women and thinking about that, shifting that mindset, like we talk about into empowering others so that they can do that job. Because at the end of the day, if somebody maybe starts doing the promotions, I'm going to move into something different and probably something better too for myself. So I think that's a big thing right there is really helping to shift that scarcity by helping other women to learn new skills within the workplace. It doesn't mean yours are gonna be any less. Beautifully put. I like how you said that leaders are not meant to to tell you what to do, and that is so true. It does not matter if you're a leader at the workplace, if you're a leader at home, you leader in your community, leader of a nation. It is not your job to tell other people what to do. It's not your job to enslave other people. It's not your job to shackle other people to listen to you. Then that's not leadership anymore, and 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 that's inherently present in every facet of our lives right at jobs and communities at home and religious congregations not everything not all religious congregations some of them um in nations as well people think that i am in a place of power when they consume power they feel that they can do anything right they can control people their own their own convenience or their own best interest comes into place right and and knowing that they have the power to to change things but what if we shifted that mindset as to if you have the power how about making the place the world the community the environment a better place than it was before not just for yourself but the people who are about to be born or for people who will be born into this world and that's the mindset that we need to have the think big visionaries mindset right and we do not have that uh, like you said like leaders come into place thinking that oh you're going to take my position and that's a great great effort that you did gabby where you impart someone else you know empowering is about giving the tools to someone else and having them the ability to learn to execute innovate and take it forward 10 times than how we did it and that's a jealousy element that lies in a lot of us where we feel like oh she's going to do it better they're going to like her better it's not about likability when you empower someone else you have the time that's an opportunity right there right when you pass on that that skill that knowledge to someone else it releases you of that task giving you time an opportunity for you to work on yourself, to better on yourself, to create something much more bigger. It's not a competition. The only person whom you're competing is with yourself. You're competing with your yesterday self, with yourself that were four hours ago, right? I'm better. I'm better me compared to a year, a year from now. Right, I'm a better person from 2011. I'm a better person from 1997. Mm -hmm. And that's the mindset that we have. So let's talk about empowerment. How can we empower from a smaller scale? We always have got to think big. But from a smaller scale to a larger level, 
where we are taking it from our communities, from our workplace to larger scale to the world? I mean, I think first and foremost, the easiest thing sometimes we can do is share our stories kind of showing women that, you know, what you're doing is possible and the path that it took to get there. Because sometimes when we are now in a position of being able to have this expertise or leadership, people just look at you as like, oh my God, like, I don't know, I could never be her, right? So when you kind of are able to just share that story, because sometimes when a woman is down, they can't imagine anything bigger than where they're at at that point in time. And so it's really just an easy thing to be able to be human be kind and just share your story of how you have come to be where you are. I think that's a big thing right there. Again, once again, giving those opportunities to others to teach them new things that you know, new skills, so that they can take it above and beyond where maybe you even have it. Um, and then another thing is providing that space for people, I think is a big key in eliminating the sparsity. And letting them know that there's space for them and that they can grow in it. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I, th I love the idea that you keep, you know, telling us <laughs> um, is to show and not tell. I think that there is such an empowerment in giving people the tools that they can to make things happen on their own. There's such a confidence that comes with that. And I think that's what we have to do. We can't just make leaders. We have to make confident leaders. So I think that's really important. And I think you do, the, do that when you give people the tools. Um, and I think that a big thing for me is having people that look like me, um, having people there who have who I can relate to and who have maybe been through the similar struggles that I have gone through. And I think that's what you're talking about. I think just literally just like the physical, the view of just walking in and being like, okay, there's women here, there's, you know, women of color here. There's just something, just how it puts you at ease, how it makes you feel more confident inherently. And I don't think that there's enough value that we can put onto that. And I think people think it's a little bit laughable, but you know, it's usually people who've always seen people who look like them. So when you don't and when you see other people that do, you're like, finally, thank goodness. Um, so I think that's a big thing is just having people there and showing. And I just think it's really interesting about what our workplace could look like. I, not even seeing power maybe in that vertical way. Maybe if we can try to make power seem horizontal or we can share it, it changes with like each day, maybe with each project. And I think that's how we can empower each other is maybe change our idea of what power actually is in the end. I love it. And just to add to that, you know, when, when you get me, you mentioned I could never be happy and the mindset that comes in, right? A lot of the time when women enter a room or when we enter uh, conversations or even like dialogues that we're having, right? And let it be hanging out with a group of friends or even with your best friends, the first thing that a lot of women tend to do is compare themselves with each other. And they have this narrative going into their head. I am, I am, I could never be her. I'm not enough. She's better than me. And all this narrative, which goes inside their own head, right? And, and I want people, I want listeners to understand that Yes, you can never be someone else. You can never be her. I can never be Annalie. I can never be Gabby, right? We are created uniquely. Our characteristics are unique. The way we speak is unique. How our brain operates is unique. And that's the beauty, right? Our individualistic ways contributes to someone else's growth. 
and someone else's individualistic ways contributes to our growth. So that is why we can never be someone else, because we bring a strong asset to our communities, to our nation, to our group of friends. And your friends or whomever that you look at a competition brings an asset to you. And I like the way Amelie put power. The concept of power needs to be changed, right? Because power right now works from a plane of, of scarcity, works from a plane of machismo, works from a plane of sometimes bitchy attitudes that is embodied within the females where they need to change their mindset from scarcity to empowerment. Yeah, I think power is always a really interesting thing for me because I don't, and this comes with like learning more about power is that it's not always the same, right? Just power isn't always stable and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that in different situations, different people can be leaders. So maybe we're in one meeting and one person really starts stepping it up. Okay, so they, in that sense, right, they have more power than say I do, but maybe we go to a different meeting on a different topic. And I'm like more of the leader who's, you know, leading the discussion and how things go and like really taking hold of a project. I think we need to be able to say like, these aren't bad things, that different people have different characteristics, maybe more different skills that make them more equipped for things. So I think we need to start really thinking about what power is and it's okay to not have power sometimes. It's okay to give up that power sometimes because sometimes it does lead to better, you know, better outcomes. I don't think it's necessarily always a bad thing. And I think when you have the current like work structure, giving up power is like, okay, I'll never be able to get it back. So I think we need to see it as a more of a fluid thing. That's a great point that you make, Amelie. Yes, and it's situational leadership. I like what you said about you know, one person leads a meeting in another situation, especially at work, some person leads a meeting, right? If Project A comes in and Gabby is really strong in Project A, and I know, Gabby, you're really strong in PR and, and marketing, and that's where you take on the position of power and leadership. And Annalie, you, you have your strengths in, in political topics, and that's where you take on your leadership, right? It's situational leadership. No computer can run on for 100 days for 24 hours a day. The power fuses out. It dies. And that's exactly how leadership is. It's situational. You lead at different times. You, it, take your life, for instance, right? You lead your life at different instances when you are depressed, when you lose your job. That's where people think that you go into a depression state. Yes, it's a depression state. That's when your mind, your your brain, your emotions, your heart is reflecting, it's recuperating, does not mean that you're a loser. Does not mean that if you're not a manager, does not mean that you're not the president of the world, it does not mean that if you are not speaking at an event right now, does not mean that you're not a leader, it's situational. Your leadership, based on your individualistic strengths, comes out at the right time, at the right moment. Do not wait for other people to give you permission. You take you give yourself permission and you do it. I think a big thing too is, you know, we talk about how can we start creating this community around us, right? To have this ideal of women empowering each other and having equal power and leadership. I think it does come down to in your daily routine, like you did, Mila, you question the authority because as long as those in power stay in power and keep us 
feeling like we need to fight each other for the little morsel that's left, that's where the issue is. You need to stand up and say, am I, I'm not taking notes today. Why isn't he? We have to start questioning that power scheme. And sometimes it can be scary, but that's how we start to create what can be a better work environment and a better community. Brilliantly put, I love it. I love it. I know that we are running out of time. Um, any last words? Let's let's <laughs> condense everything and let's find three top things that our listeners and viewers can take on to shifting that scarcity, that mindset or mindset of competition within women uh, into empowerment, courage, and confidence. I think the big thing for me is what I've seen that like empowers me is being able to ask for help and acknowledge when maybe I don't know everything. And I think that's really empowering because you can maybe give people the courage to also ask for help, give the courage for people to speak up. So I think it's always, you know, being able to maybe ask for help, um, say, I can't do it, say, I don't know. I think there is like an empowerment in it. And I know we didn't really talk about that that much, but it changes things, right? So if you don't know, maybe I can bring and, you know, build up somebody else who maybe is below the rung on me and they can teach me how to do things. I think it's, you know, showing, not telling. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah. I think a big takeaway here is creating that environment for growth for individuals. So for yourself as well, learning new skills, helping others to learn new skills and giving credit where credit is due and you know encouraging others to step up brilliant well i would say i would say <laughs> never to lowball yourself right you do not need someone else's validation to define your self-worth or to conform your self-worth because i want people to know that your self-worth is not based on the job that you have it's not based on someone else's uh, okay to you to do things or it's not as it's not a position right your self-worth is defined by your own unique qualities embrace your unique qualities embrace your individualistic strengths embrace your own quirks right we all have our quirks be yourself show vulnerability and vulnerability is having the courage and confidence to being yourself embracing speaking your mind right and doing things that you do do not conform the minute you conform you lose the individualistic sense of yourself so my whole thing is that you are worthy never wait for someone else to validate you because the validation comes from within so thank you gabby and anli for coming on board and having this powerful conversation it was great yeah just it was really great i always like talking to you guys so it's nice that we're together again yeah, you know, know. questioning yeah. everything questioning the world around us because it needs to be yeah, exactly. we have three regions from the east coast to the midwest to the west coast yeah. <laughs> no it's been brilliant and listeners and viewers if you like listening to or today's episode, or if you liked any parts of today's episode, please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or on YouTube. 
leave us a rating, leave us a like, reshare, share your thoughts. You know, even if you didn't like what we said, you know, you can write, speak your mind, we can handle it, troll us, whatever that you want to do. <laughs> I'm used to arguing with people on the internet, so. What's the new aspiring partners? <laughs> Things that does not challenge you does not make you grow. The challenges, you know, I'm inviting you. Please do write us a, a good review. But thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us. And as always, here is to becoming your better self.